Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Adrian Martini. Hello. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Good. How about you? Uh, I'm good. I'm damp. It's raining here, so. Oh. I'm not used I've to heard, being damp. I've heard of such things. Yeah. You know, we don't. We don't really see rain here in the Pacific Northwest oh, in I the know. summertime. I know. I thought it. Yeah. See, it all comes here. That's that's why. <laughs> right. Right. Rain. Rain. Go away. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, any knitting going on in the summertime for you? Um, usually in the summer, I work on small projects because I mm. like to stock what I call the strategic knitting reserve. Um, <laughs> and what is that? Well, it's a bunch of hats and mittens and scarves and, and kind of small stuff um, uh-huh. that I either stockpile for holiday gifts or uh, mm. add to our drawer of emergency hats and gloves and scarves. So. Oh, that's nice. So you're well, so you're in the bomb shelter knitting. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, pretty much. I'm in front of the air conditioner knitting because uh, when you you just I don't want to work on a sweater or anything because a lap full yeah. of just sounds awful right now. So right, right, right. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. So it's really just small stuff. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I put my needle pointing. I haven't taken it out in I don't know six weeks seven weeks i don't know it just even though the light's so much better this time of year (laughs) (laughs) which is an important consideration for people of a certain age it is it is i've decided everywhere it's just getting darker (laughs) there you go your eyesight's not getting worse it's just getting darker (laughs) yep i actually had to do something uh when we went to a we were on a family trip in baltimore and we were in this really dark restaurant and I actually had to break out my phone and turn the flashlight on. So that oh, I could sure. A menu. Please. Yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Welcome to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. And I just I just make no apologies. I'm like, oh, it's too dark in here. Get out the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And while you're at it, you kids, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so true. Oh, my goodness. So, well, I had, um, let's talk running for a second, shall we, Adrian? Oh, okay. <laughs> let's do that. Um, so um, I am following the Crush the Distance Marathon right. program in the Train Like a Mother Club. And it was a cutback week last week. So mileage was cut back a little. <laughs> <laughs> took, huh. me about half, took me about halfway through the week to be like, huh, it's a cutback week. Right. I felt like I should have like there should have been fireworks or something in the beginning of it. But um, so it meant that uh, the weekend's long run was 12 miles compared to 16 miles the previous weekend right. and 16 miles this upcoming weekend. And so I thought, oh, piece of cake. It's 12 miles. You know, I did 16 last week and it went really well. And oh, it's just such an ordeal. Yeah. It was such a slog. And so I tweeted when I got back about, you know, how much tougher the 12 miles was and um, got a really, really awesome response from Melanie, whose handle is um, at uh, Ain't I Woman blog. And she, it was really an interesting. I've been thinking about it ever since she tweeted it to me. And she, she said, I'm convinced we expand our minds to accommodate longer runs so that shorter, longer runs always feel more challenging. Mm hmm. So what do you, does, when you harken back to, let's say your New York City training or, or, you know, the training you do for halves, like right. what, does that, does that um, strike a chord with you or are you like bogus, you know? What, what <laughs> no, I think it strikes a chord, but I think you have to, it only kind of happens when you get up into the really higher mileage. Um, mm. But I don't remember ever having that since, you know, cutting back from 16 to 12. Like I was just happy that I could finish the 12 and still have enough time to like do something else with the day 
Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you get kind of that zen thing going on the really long runs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have enough time to get into that kind of state, you just never get over mm. the discomfort of like, eh, look, I'm still running. Look, I've been running forever. Look, I'm still running. And you don't, your brain doesn't have a chance to do that kind of flattening out thing that it does. Flatlining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is true. And also, I, I know that I just thought like, ah, oh, piece of cake. It's not even a half marathon. Like, I could totally do this. And I just right. was like, oh. For me, it really, you know, I'm running without Molly these days bec- on the that longer be efforts. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. And I just, gosh, it just, I always tell myself, Sarah, you're not in pain. You're not in discomfort. You're just bored. Right. And maybe that's a bad attitude. But um, also because I didn't have a, um, I just kept on, when I'm marathon training, let me back up. When I'm marathon train, I like to mull over my long run routes when I go to sleep during the week because I need my brain needs a little something to chew on but not something really difficult to chew on you know right. like don't figure out how you're going to pay that back tax bill when you're trying right. to go to sleep <laughs> to right. take you're a like, real life example really... yeah <laughs> right right and so so and I just kept I couldn't come up with anything I just was like mm, no because mm, there had to be a couple hills in it and right. so I just wasn't coming up with anything and so I just kind of set out and I'm like, oh, yeah, I talk to a lot of women who just say, oh, I just go out and see where it takes me. And I'm just like, I realize I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've had that discovery, too, because I, uh, Coach Christine has me running. She's like, we're going to call it a hill, not hill repeats, though. It's just a hilly run. And I mm-hmm. want you to find five or six big hills um, and just really focus on your form going up the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have to, like, plot this whole course on the inside of my head to make sure that I get the right kinds of hills because here we have many to choose from. I actually uh-huh. texted Christine, I was like, so should they be steep and short? Should they be steep and long? Should they be kind of slow rollers? I mean, you need to be more specific here. Um, ain't no flatlander here. Tell no me what you want. Yeah, tell me what kind of hill you want. I can find you that hill. Uh, but then having to, I was kind of plotting the run on my feet as I was running it to make sure I uh-huh. hit some hill, hit the right kinds of hills. And it was uh-huh. exhausting. I was like, you know, by the end of it, I was like, you know, I only ran four miles and I was just done. I was like, my brain uh-huh. is tired. I can't plot <laughs> as I go. I'm not yeah, I did get... Yeah, I did get, I got to a couple points. I'm like, oh no, if I go that way, it's going to be totally flat the whole way. You know, it's going to be flat for miles. And so I kind of um, like just cut across so that it was flat, but then off to one shoulder was always, I live in a part of town where it's largely a grid. And so there was always, I could, within one block, I could always just cut, you know, go south and there right. would be a hill there, or, you know, when I'm on this way, oh, just go west and it'll be a hill or whatever. And um, I don't know, and it was just oh that sun, and yeah. I, I don't know, it was it was tough. So, so anyway, so I'm almost looking forward to 16 this weekend because I'm like, well, I had a kind of fine time last 16 miles. Right, so. right, yeah. It was always funny when marathon training too is that you'd run like 18 and then see 12 on the schedule, and you're like, oh, oh, this is so great. It's only 12. It's only 12. Right, I know. And then realize. That- at any other sane point in your life, 12 is a long work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so. and, 
and I think it's important maybe for me to realize that it still is, you know, yeah. like <laughs> 12 is nothing just, to sneeze at. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the adjective only, it still is a, a <laughs> distance that needs to get respected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, so when I, when I wasn't running, I, um, did a lot of reading this weekend. Oh. I was really spurred on by our summer reading yes. podcast, which, yes. which if you missed it is just behind this one in the, in your uh, feed as, as some of our favorite podcasts right. like to say. And you but, should. So I just, I just want to say that phrase. Yes. And you guys should listen <laughs> no. to it because Ellison really, not that Sarah doesn't have some good recommendations, but Ellison, I think, knocked it out of the park. This time, oh, she did. So, oh, that's yeah. her task. Yeah. That's definitely, you know, I told her ahead of time. I'm like, okay, I haven't gotten to as many books as I want. And, you know, she brings this, you know, wheelbarrow full of books. Right. Um, so, <laughs> but um, so I started reading the Donner Party book. Right. Um, it's um, The Best Land Under Heaven. And boy, oh, talk about a gripping ripping book it is so well written i mean it just the pages just fly by and oh my gosh i was oh my goodness but it is not for the faint of heart let's say um i was was thinking about that allison said oh yeah you know fans of little house on the prairie i'm like yeah no a little more harsh than little house (laughs) on the prairie (laughs) little house on the prairie if you know papa got really hungry <laughs> yeah right lost in the prairie the cannibal edition yeah. um but um but just also not even so much that but also like my gosh the things like they could be fine one second and the next second yeah. an axe has slipped and they have a gash in their hand that you oh, just yeah. know is going to get infected infected and and uh it makes me just think um you know it, it, you and i both love hamilton the musical and um you know good old eliza his wife lived another 50 years as the yes. song says and you just think she lived back then right. to what 90 91 mm-hmm. yeah oh my gosh i mean just a little you know us it's like oh i misstepped off the curb and i twisted my ankle it's like oh i you know got hit by a i got run over by an oxen and now my femur is sticking <laughs> you know it's like ah yeah. um so anyway so um but it is uh it's just a fascinating book so i so yeah. i not only do i suggest listening to that podcast if you've missed it but also just dive right into the books yeah so I um, think, um yeah. growing up uh, on the east coast and still living on the east coast i don't have as much connection with the donner party like i understand what mm. happened but i don't mm-hmm. have a, a visual of what it was like oh. if that mm. um mm-hmm. i have no visceral connection to it um, oh wow oh that it really i mean i've gone swimming in donner lake i've you right. know, I've, I've spent when i right. lived in san francisco i've been up to tahoe a number of times and just I mean, it, the landscape out here is so much different. Yeah. Um, oh, than I know. It is back yeah. East. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know, because you'd be like, "Yeah, the Adirondacks. If I had to, I could get up and over all of them. Right. Like, it would be yeah. fine." <laughs> yes. It's like, and then you see the Sierra Nevada. It's like, yeah, that might yeah. be kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, Utah um, in a couple days for business. And um, so there's a big stretch where they talk about, you know, getting to the Great Salt Lake and having to go across the desert for, you know, six days with no water. And it's just, I mean, I can, you know, I just envision what I see flying in. And right. boy, I tell you, that's that's what I kept on thinking is, thank God for airplanes and cars <laughs> and water bottles. and Yes. <laughs> you know, for, forget penicillin and bandages, clean right. bandages. <laughs> and waste treatment plants. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and lice treatments. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Imagine how itchy you'd be 
all the time. Oh my gosh, that's what oh. he mentioned. He mentioned lice once uh, so far, and then I just thought, oh my gosh, these people are in such close confines. Oh, uh, uh, uh. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't, I didn't shower today after my strength training class, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. Like I right. own that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Alex. <laughs> <laughs> He's all good about it. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and uh, let's quickly talk about you. Just got back from a foreign trip. Is that yeah, correct? Yes. May we? Technically for- foreign. Um, <laughs> yes. Oddly enough, I took my daughter. This is gonna loop in. Just give me a minute. I took my mm-hmm. daughter for her 15 year checkup. Mm-hmm. Um, and as part of the questions they asked, they're like, have you been out of the country in the last three months? And I was like, well, we just got back from Canada. And we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, technically another country. Uh, but they still have pretty much the same basic things that, that we do. Right. right. There's uh, no fear of malaria, let's say. Generally not. No. No tsetse flies encountered. Yeah. Yeah. No. So we went to Montreal and we were up there for four days, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the trip was prompted just because my daughter's French club last February went up to Quebec City mm-hmm. and did all of the fun Quebec-y things that you do. Like they got mm-hmm. to mush dogs, they went curling. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? They like went ice skating and had hot chocolate. And I was like, you know, I haven't been up there in forever. So... Uh-huh. We plotted a trip this summer to go up to Montreal, and it's a lot like it. You know, you really feel that you've been somewhere mm-hmm. different because mm-hmm. you know it is French Canada and mm-hmm. accent on the French. You know, everything's in <laughs> French first. You know, right? Uh, and there are places where you can kind of um, where you realize that you are definitely in the minority, being an English speaker, um, mm. and it. You know. And we had a lovely time. We went and um, took a boat ride up and down the oh. St. Lawrence. Uh-huh. Um, what else did we do? We went to the old World's Fair Pavilion. Um, oh, of course. Uh-huh. Olympics. Uh, Montreal 67, I guess, is when the Olympics were there. Se- it's now- 76. 76, sorry. 76. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. But it's now, the they've turned it into... Um, there's a biodome, so it's like an indoor zoo. Oh, um, but not that's zoo. intriguing. Yeah, it's a biodome though. It's not like it's animals in cages. They've really made um, the environments too. So mm. they've kind of built like a river for the otters. They've mm-hmm. um, uh, made like this big. It looks like a big estuary for all the the water birds, and so it's like this really cool, cool thing that they've done to it. Um, mm. So we did all of all of that kind of stuff and ate poutine. We had three different types of poutine. Oh, that's so funny. I just, I um, I was going to ask if you ate poutine. Of course. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, and usually poutine's better when it's February, but you know, in July we can suffer through and, and eat poutine. Uh, went and had crepes one night, which was uh-huh. also big fun. Um, oh, so delicious. It, uh-huh. Yeah. And it was just a good family family trip you know and there's a different currency so you really feel like you're away Mm -hmm. Um, your passport Mm -hmm. your passport um Mm -hmm. so yeah no we had a really we had a good trip so it it was nice to go up to to montreal and i um went for a nice run along the lachine canal 
Oh, uh-huh. Um, and since it was a canal, it was nice and flat. Uh-huh. Saw lots of other runners, most of whom said uh-huh. bonjour to me as I was running past. Ooh, I know. how exciting. <laughs> yes. And I, of course, respond with good morning because I'm not quick on the uptake. Um, uh, met lots of Canadian dogs. It was big fun. It was big oh, fun. Good, 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 good. All right, Adrian. Well, let's return to this this country and uh, today's show. Let's rein it back in. Let's rein okay. it back in. Okay. Um, so, but I'm glad you had a good time up in Montreal. Um, so, our guest for today's show is a sports medicine doctor. Adrian and I will get him answering all sorts of injury and injury prevention questions after this quick break. Stay with us. Our guest is Dr. David Geyer, or Dr. David as he likes to be called. He's an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist in Charleston, South Carolina. In his practice, Dr. David treats athletes of all ages and skill levels. He's the author of several books, including The Year of the Healthy Athlete, 52 Weekly Tips to Keep You Injury-Free and Performing at Your Best. And finally, his podcast, The Dr. David Geyer Show, is a weekly sports injury treatment, prevention, and wellness show. So welcome, Dr. David. Oh, thanks. And you can just call me David. uh, uh, But no, I am excited to be here. I I really appreciate it. That's great. Good, good. good. Uh, So, David, (laughs) now that Sarah has given given us the brief introduction, can you tell us a little bit about your professional life? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I specialize in sports medicine. So that may sound fancy and and we take care of pro athletes and service team doctors, which is is true. The vast majority of what I do and what most of us in this profession do are just taking care of people that want to exercise and be healthy. It may be kids that play sports, but very often it's adults that just want to run. They just want to lift weights and they've got some nagging pain that's keeping them from doing that and it's it's a really gratifying part of what I do is getting people back to the sports and exercise they love I bet it is yeah yeah I mean um yes so we have a super engaged Facebook page so we asked her questions from the AMR tribe there and I gotta tell you we got a veritable avalanche (laughs) um so we're gonna dive into those questions in a minute but I thought let's start with a few kind of overarching guidelines from you starting with if something hurts on a run whether it's your hamstring your heel your shins your knee whatever at what point should you stop running and you know call for a lift versus when is it okay to keep going Yeah, I don't know that there's an absolute rule of thumb. Generally, I think there's some easy things. If you literally can't walk because it's so, or not, you know, you can't run because it's so painful. And this is coming from a guy, I broke my ankle in college uh, on a training run, so I I know how you get hurt. But Uh most of the time, that's pretty straightforward. It's usually more subtle, though. It's sore or it's uncomfortable, but you can push through it. And generally, I think that's okay. But if the pain is getting worse, maybe it's coming on earlier, maybe it's taking longer to go away when you stop, um, and it's certainly not getting better so that you can't do what you want to do as well as you want to do it, then it's probably worth getting it checked out. Uh Right. Uh Um, Along the lines of those kind of starting and stopping injuries, what percentage of running injuries do you think you you need to stop running to recover from? Um, There are those obvious acute ones like you have a fractured ankle or you had surgery, but what about for chronic injuries? Generally, we try not to shut people down. I'm a big fan of letting people Mm. continue to exercise. I think sometimes you have to modify it a little bit 
So, you know, if it's, you know, something like maybe a, a stress fracture of your foot or your ankle or your leg, you're probably going to have to stop running until that heals, but you can, you know, bike or you can swim or lift weights and find other ways to get exercise. Sometimes it might be as simple as maybe you don't run seven days a week, maybe you run four and cross train the other days, so you don't have to completely stop running. And then sometimes you don't have to stop running at all. Um, again, this is dependent on the type of injury, but sometimes it may be, well, it's running up and down hills that's causing the problem. So maybe you run on flat ground for a few weeks while you're doing some other things to get over that injury. And then when you're healed, you go back to running hills. So maybe it's changing your surface. Maybe it's changing uh, the terrain. Maybe it could be simpler things than that. Uh, but it really depends on the specific injury. But overall, I guess the message is our goal is not to shut you down and say, you can't run anymore. Well, that's huh. welcome news to a lot of that women. That is welcome I, news. Because I think, I, I speak from personal experience, that I think part of it is is you're afraid that if you voice the concern or you finally speak up to a doctor about it, and then it's like, oh, they're going to make me stop running. They're going to make me stop running. So, um, yeah. so do you... So you're not alone. You're not the only orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine doctor in the country who's like, oh, no, 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 you can keep running. It's okay. Yeah, no, I think there's it's it's part of why sports medicine really developed as a subspecialty within orthopedic surgery. I will say if you go to some doctors, even orthopedic surgeons, uh, joint replacement doctors or maybe general orthopedic surgeons, you will occasionally hear uh, them say you just have to give up running. I will tell you though, if you find most orthopedic surgeons that did a fellowship in sports medicine, almost all of us are gonna to try to figure out some way to get you back to it. There may be some modification short term, like I just mentioned, but no, our goal is to get you back to what you wanna do. It's very rare, I can't even think of the last time that I that I had somebody that didn't get back to running at some point. Uh, you mm. know, obviously every injury is different, but our goal again is not to shut you down. So you know, find you know a sports medicine specialist within orthopedic surgery, and I think you'll find somebody that's trying to get you back to running. Oh boy! Oh, that is um, <laughs> stopping some people in their tracks just hearing that because that is really right. great news. Um, yeah. So okay, okay. So let's move on to the questions called from Facebook. Um, which I want to apologize to the ladies who put up questions. There were so many of them, we can't begin to answer them all. But I tried to pick out ones that seemed to get a lot of comments, like, oh, that happens to me too. I want want to know the answer. So um, so going to start with um, Shelly really seemed to hit a nerve with this topic. Um, it sh and she calls it high, and there's a couple comments from this one. So it's a little bit of a long question. High hamstring tendonitis seems she said seems to be happy with more people she knows. And that according to Runner's World, she read that it's an injury that only runners get. And so then um, Pam wrote how she described it is um, more often than not, the next day after a long run, her sit bones hurt so bad, they feel like burning rockets when I sit. Um, and then finally, Becky phrased it this way. My hamstrings right up into my butt cheeks, including lower back at times, gets worse as I run. So frustrating. I would pay big bucks or bake a whole lot of goodies if you could get my injury figured out along with treatment. So... David, could you explain like what's causing or what you think kind of, because I totally know what they're talking about, that that sit bone in particular. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I know that one. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping if I can solve some of this, I'll get some of those baked goods. Baked goods, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chocolate chip or oatmeal? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think that there's a couple things uh, that are worth talking about here. And, and when we talk about the sit bones and the hamstrings, it all makes sense because the hamstring uh, muscle in the back of the thigh attaches by a tendon to that, the fancy term, not that anybody cares about this, but the fancy term is the ischial tuberosity. It is what we know as the sit bone. Now, it is not something that just runners get. It may manifest differently in other people. And I've actually had an injury. We call it instead of high hamstring, we call it proximal hamstring in, in our world, just meaning it's up close to the butt. And very often it's it's related to an explosive movement. We see it in soccer. I actually suffered this doing of all things P90X way back in the day. Um, <laughs> wow. and, and had it was right off the sit bone. It took me nine, uh, nine weeks to get over it. It was awful. Oh. Um, uh-huh. But mine was not overuse. I had a specific movement, and I knew right when it happened, and it took forever to heal. So you see that a lot, weightlifters, certain sports. You can see that in runners, actually, where they, they lunge awkwardly or they sprint mm. awkwardly. So I, to be fair, as a surgeon, I see that where there was a specific event more than something that came on over time. Having mm. said that, it makes, makes absolute sense, and to... This is going to discourage those three uh, ladies. But to be fair, um, one, it almost never needs surgery. It almost never needs a long-term absence from running. But it's not a quick fix either. That is one Mm -hmm. that far and away I would strongly recommend. This is where I'm a big fan of physical therapy generally. uh, But this Mm -hmm. is one that I think it's going to be very hard to overcome that and keep running without working with a physical therapist. Because what happens... And I'm going to try to not get technical, but when you talk to physical therapists that do a lot of really athletic people, because um, you again you see this in soccer players a lot, this injury um, usually there's an underlying issue. It could be tightness of certain muscles around the hip or pelvis, maybe on one side more than the other, or weakness of the hip and pelvic muscles on one side compared to the other that leads to an imbalance that sort of and just makes this sort of um, a nagging thing that doesn't get better. So you have to sort of get over whatever led to it in the first place. And again, it's usually not just running. There's some underlying issue. So if you're dealing mm-hmm. with that, I, far and away, you know, maybe you go see a doctor first, but I think working with a physical therapist, they can get you through it. It's not going to be quick though, but they can get you back mm-hmm. to running and can get you pain-free. Good deal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Melissa posted this question and a bunch of women nodded their heads in agreement. Um, I have a nagging pain on the medial side of both of my knees. And I'm trying to remember which one's medial. That's me, not Melissa. I can't remember which one's <laughs> oh, medial. <fair> <laughs> medial. Medial is the side. The easiest way to remember medial, it's the side closest to the midline of your that's, body. That's so what I thought. What, but I, What yeah. people consider inside uh, is the medial side. Okay. So her actual question, uh, it's at its worst after a run when she stretches. It even hurts when I try to bend my knee. Um, I'm guessing it's a result of weak hamstrings or glutes, but it's very painful when she stays in one position for an extended period of time. This is, is going to be tricky uh, because it's hard without examining her to know right. which of the causes of, of medial pain. There's a lot of things uh, on the that you can get. You know, we think of lateral pain, you know, IT band, really common in runners. But the medial side, there's a lot of different things that can be going on. 
I will tell you a couple things that right off the bat sound like, well, one thing that sounds like good news. It's very rare to have a big structural problem, stress fracture, ligament injury, something like that, on both sides at the same time. So the fact that she has it on both sides makes you think it's an overuse injury that we should be able to get better with some modification. But as far as what things can be going on, um, the hamstrings, we just talked about them attaching up at the hip, but they actually uh, attach on the inside of your knee just below the joint line. So it could be related uh, to hamstring issues like she mentioned. You can actually have pain under your kneecap that radiates to the inside of the knee, patellofemoral pain. You see that especially in in younger runners a fair amount. that is one. Uh, there's there's a variety of different uh, you know problems inside the knee on the uh, medial side. Things like a plica, which you know pretty uncommon these days, but that can give it. There, there's a lot of kind of overuse things. I think the the big thing in her case, and a little getting back to physical therapy again, it's it's probably going to be related to something about her. You know, maybe it's an alignment issue, how she lands, things like that. Another good example of seeing a doctor, see if there's some simple uh, you know, maybe orthotics changes, or if it's a muscular thing, seeing a physical therapist to correct those. But it's not going to, I'd be surprised in that kind of scenario, at least. And again, this is not medical advice, but I would, I'd be surprised if that turns out to be anything real serious. Certainly be surprised if that's something that turns out to be surgery. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Well, that's, that's good news. Um, so uh, Jessica asked with a sense of urgency, she says she's <laughs> been off running off running for almost three months now due to labral tears in both hips and she's uh, been seeing a PT once a week and working on exercises to strengthen the muscles that have been overused are strained and now aren't firing correctly she's also seeing a massage therapist to help the muscles not be so tight she wants to know if she'll ever run again to which Marissa chimed in please answer this I have one doctor ready to do surgery and another saying surgery will not work when should surgery not be a good idea like arthritis age and she says, thank you. Yeah, no. So this is a this is a little uh, complicated, but I'll try to do the, just the nuts and bolts. The labrum, for anybody listening that they, you don't know what that is, that's the cartilage bumper between the ball and socket. It's a, it's a cartilage mm-hmm. bumper along the socket. It's a shock absorber, essentially. And one thing about the, the labral tear is that a huge percentage of MRIs that show a labral tear are false positives. MRI is not the world's best test for that uh, plain MRI. And so I think what she's talking about, I'm trying physical therapy and things and some other things. I'm all for that. If you can get better without a hip surgery, that's absolutely a good way to go. The trick is and, and you mentioned, uh, I think the other person mentioned arthritis. That would be the indication that, yes, I've got a labral tear, but if you've got like essentially bone on bone changes in your hip, uh, going in and scoping it at that point is not going to probably make that big of a difference. But I will say that labral tears in the right person, a lot of times surgery can actually help a lot. We get we see pro athletes get back to sports after that surgery. So if nothing's working, physical therapy isn't working and, and you still can't do what you want to do running wise, sometimes surgery can actually make a difference. Labral tears generally don't heal on their own. And so if if the surgeon goes in and scopes the hip and either just trims the small part of the labrum out or has to reattach it, I mean, it may take three or four months, but usually, I mean, we have people get back to professional football and professional soccer and baseball. So it's certainly possible to run after that surgery. Mm. 
Good. Yeah. You're just you're yeah. just full of good news and optimism. Yeah. We love that. We yeah. love that in a doctor. Uh, exactly. That one won't be easy. I'm not going to lie about that. That that's that's a long term recovery. We're not talking about. Uh, I will just scope your hip and you're good as new. It takes some time to get over it. But if it comes to that, you know, it, it's certainly something you can recover from. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, good. Good. So Kathy asks. Shin splints, what causes them, how to treat them, how to avoid them. Her shins tighten so much when she runs that she can barely point and flex her foot while running. It's the one thing that keeps her from a continuous running routine. Yeah. Oh, I feel for her. When I was in college and I was just big time trying to really ramp up my running, I went through a a course of shin splints and it was miserable. And I was too uh, boneheaded to change what I did. I just... (laughs) Um, so I, I feel for her. I, I know that um, the what causes it is, is kind of tricky because it's a little different in, in a lot of people. What it is um, is an inflammation of the lining of the bone. It's called periosteum. Not that anybody cares about that, but it's the lining of the shin bone where the muscles attach to it and pull on it. It's almost always along the inside, the medial side, as we talked about, the inside of the tibia, <laughs> and and we think that it's related to tightness of a muscles in a certain compartment of the leg. And so a lot of times there is a good stretching program for it, but it's not the typical stretching exercises that you see if you go online looking for runner stretches that stretch the calf and the Achilles and the hamstrings. These are a little different. Um, tip, two things. One, again, not to, to I'm going to make physical therapists a lot of money here. I, I, I <laughs> a physical therapist once uh, and have them show you that. But the other upside that the physical therapist can do while you're dealing with it, at least, is they've got things like ultrasound and e-stem to kind of calm it down and make it feel better. But then those exercises that they show you are probably not the worst thing in the world once or twice a week for you to just to add to your routine, uh, uh, stretching routine on a maintenance basis. Um, typically, once you kind of get rid of it, doesn't typically come back. But having said that, I, I think once or twice a week doing those stretching exercises, and I remember it, they're hard to describe in this format, but I mean, mm-hmm. uh, a physical therapist could show them, but they're sort of uncomfortable. I remember dreading doing mine, but uh, mm-hmm. they did work. The last thing I'll say about it though, is if, if especially if it's only on one side, but even if it's not, it, at some point it's worth going to an orthopedic surgeon and getting it checked out. Because I tell you, I've had a number of runners um, both at sort of the high school and college age, but also at the um, women in their 40s and 50s, where it, it turned out to actually be a stress fracture and not shin splint. So I, if you're not getting that much better, you might get it checked out, sometimes even get an MRI to make sure it's not something worse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Speaking of that, let's, um, I hadn't thought of that question before, but that um, what are, if people think they have a stress fracture, like I realize they cannot exactly diagnose themselves, but what are some signs that mm, yeah this might might be what you're looking at yeah I, I think what I would look for um, is the pain that is getting um, worse and not getting better that and it's more specific but that's the general concept the stress fracture typically presents like this you get this nagging pain in some bone it may be a bone in your foot a bone in your ankle it may be your shin bone it may be up in your hip and groin but it typically will come on, say, you've been running and around the 30 minute mark, it starts to hurt. 
and then you finish your run, no big deal, and then it goes away in about five minutes. And then you keep pushing. You're like, oh, this isn't so bad. So then it starts coming on, say, 20 minutes into a run. Mm-hmm. Comes on at 10 minutes into a run. Then it starts, like, the minute you start running, you get that pain. Sometimes it then starts even go, coming on when you're just walking around in your daily life. And every time when you stop running, it's taking longer and longer and longer to go away. Maybe at first mm-hmm. it's five minutes, but then it's a few hours before it goes away. Then it doesn't go away till the next morning. And then you get to where it doesn't go away at all and it's bothering you in your daily life. That mm-hmm. coming on sooner and sooner and taking longer and longer to go away is a classic, classic symptom of a stress fracture of whatever part of the body it is. And if you're starting to get that, I'd tell you sooner rather than later, go get it checked out. If you can prevent a stress fracture before it actually becomes a real stress fracture, that's much much better than treating it once it's happened. Yeah, and I think that all goes back to, again, that fear of voicing it out loud. And that, so I think people should maybe bear in mind, to correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that if they seek help for it, they can circumvent it from becoming something worse. Yeah, and I, and I absolutely get that concern. I, I completely understand it. But I think the, what, the way I would look at it is if you can catch this in an earlier form, sort of a stress reaction, which is sort of the precursor of a stress fracture, or just early stress that isn't even a stress reaction. It doesn't show up even if you get an MRI. Um, you may be able to get over it in a week or a week and a half or two weeks. If you get certain bones, if you get a stress fracture, you can be looking at two two, three, four months out. Mm. So yes, you may end up going to the doctor and for a stress injury, yeah, they may say, we got to back you off of running. They'll still let you ride a bike or swim or do other things. But that could be a lot shorter if you deal with it early um, than if you uh, push through it. I see this, I, I bet I'll see this in Charleston, where I am, Charleston, South Carolina, we have a big 10K. It's one of the top 10 10Ks in the country. It's 40 or 45,000 people. Wow. And it, people... Is this the it, bridge one? Yeah, Cooper River Bridge Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in, uh, so that's the first Saturday in April. And every February and March, I'll see easily 10 to 15 people that decide they've never run before or they haven't run in 10 years that decide they're going to run that race and they really ramp up their training fast and what happens is they keep pushing through pain until they can't stand it anymore and then you know it's March there is no chance they're going to be healed by the beginning of April or uh, so you know the sooner you look into it you may end up missing less time than if you keep trying to push through it mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, some important lessons in there about not ramping up your mileage too quickly and as well as seeking treatment a little earlier than you might want to admit to yourself. Um, so Kristen has a lament that I bet a lot of listeners can relate to. She says, um, from the age of 40 to 49, I never had a running injury despite running lots of half marathons and several marathons a year with the accompanying training. But in the last three years, so I'm assuming she's now in her 50s, um, she's had one or two muscle tendon injuries each year requiring weeks of recovery. By the time I get my running back on track and approach a breakthrough, I get injured again. I alternate between legs and the exact nature of injury varies slightly each time. She says, but no stress fractures, just strains and terrors. She says, why is this happening? Am I just falling apart with age? 
I don't know that she's necessarily, well, I mean, she's falling apart in the sense that she does keep getting hurt, but I don't know that the age in and of itself predisposes you to injuries, but I do think it changes our bodies a little bit. I think the structures that make up our tendons and ligaments and even our muscles become more brittle and they're more susceptible to injuries. So I think as we get older, and this is not just her, I think this is all of us, we do have to sort of approach our recovery and our prevention a little differently. You put more effort into stretching and more effort into maybe um, off, or, you know, off the road strengthening programs, muscular strengthening programs, and then uh, maybe vary up your routine a little more than maybe you did when you were younger. Uh, I know people don't want to hear not to run, but maybe. It, now is the time instead of seven days a week of running maybe it's five days a week and you lift weights or swim or or bike or do yoga or something the other two days Uh, maybe you uh, when you start having pains you give yourself an extra day off the next day to recover than maybe you would when you were 30. so i think it's lots of little things like that Um, maybe you do work with a physical therapist and find out if there's any underlying you know, muscle weakness on one side compared to the other or muscle tightness on one side compared to the other. You're, you're a little more aggressive trying to protect your body so you don't end up sort of in that situation where you just keep injuring different things and you're never running for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah. I'm probably going to mess this woman's name up and I apologize in advance, but Tawny wrote, mm-hmm. how I can I how can I prevent IT band issues? She struggled through the last few miles of half marathons twice. She has no problems with the distance in her walking gait, but she thinks there's something wrong with her running gait and would love to know how to prevent the problem in her next half. Yeah, no, I think that that's good. And most uh, people I see with IT band issues get over it pretty easily. Um, but once in a while, maybe 5% of the people that I see with it are, are really sort of tough to get over it. Um, I will tell you that a lot of people, a lot of my friends that are big time runners tell me that they have added in foam rollers and that did the trick. There's not a lot of good studies that necessarily prove that, but that may be something you try. I tried that just in general for you know prevention stuff a few years ago, and I hated it. Uh, I didn't. I, I just thought it made me uncomfortable, and I, I thought it may have made me sore than I was before. But the people that I know that have IT band tightness say that it really helps loosen that up. So you may look into that, you know, and and I'm. YouTube is always a source of good and bad information, but you probably can find some pretty good foam roller exercises and, and try that first. I think if that's not getting better, you might that might be where you find a sports medicine doctor and just make sure that the problem isn't stemming from something else. A lot of IT band issues, especially the ones that are struggling to get better, might be tightness up at the hip. You know, the IT band runs right. all the way up to the top of your pelvis. And so it could be up at the hip. And if you're just focusing on the knee, that may be, you know, you're just not kind of getting at the source of the problem. Um, So you you might uh, talk to somebody if this is something that, hey, simple exercises, foam rolling's not going, even seeing a physical therapist and that stuff's not working, you may get it checked out. I know there's a lot of videos at uh, TP Therapy, Trigger Point Therapy's website as well, um, just as a little aside. Um, so Blair had a question that I can totally relate to um, because, um, Dr. David, I had, um, I fractured my ankle 
had um, in a bunch of places, and so I have some uh, pins on one side and a plate on the other. So, but um, Blair says, um, she says, I've always wanted to ask y'all, so she must be from your part of the world, David. Yeah. Um, uh, I always wanted to ask y'all to do a story or a podcast on those of us that I call bionic. She says she broke her tibia and fibula playing soccer 15 years ago and was fixed with the titanium rod and uh, screws and on the other side and she says all that hardware is still in there and it hasn't bothered her yet in her two years of running she has 5k's 10k's and half marathons so she's decided that when the time comes for her to stop running the hardware will tell her um, but she'd love a professional's view and I have to say like definitely before I had my surgery my surgeon was like oh yeah well you have such skinny ankles of course you're gonna want the hardware out and I was like, oh, don't tell me that right before I go under the knife. Like, like, like one surgery at a time, guy. And I have to say, I have no problem, none. I don't feel it at all. And I've run one marathon. I fractured my ankle in May 1st of 2015 and ran uh, Boston the following April. And now I'm training for my second marathon since then. And I just, I just don't feel it. So, like, what do you tell people who do have hardware in the lower half of their body? I think I have good news for both of you. I, I think that generally we don't take hardware out unless it's causing a problem. I, I, well, I guess I shouldn't universally say that, but for ankle and leg stuff, we don't. We usually don't take that out. Rarely, you might have to. In the rare case, maybe something got infected, or uh, he, your surgeon was right in that. In, if you ever have to take plates and screws out of ankles, it's almost always somebody that's really, really skinny. There's just not a lot of fat or subcutaneous tissue there, so they that, that's feel... that's not me, by the way. So that I, yeah, I have skinny yeah. ankles, but <laughs> yeah. so I, I won't say that I haven't done that because somebody just a lot of times it's not so much that it bothers them pain-wise; they just don't like to be able to reach down there and actually feel the screw heads, uh, so they'll run mm. it out. But um, if it's not causing a problem, I usually tell people to leave it alone. And just like both of you, it rarely causes a problem. The nail that she's oh. talking about down the center of the shin bone, those are really hard to get out. Uh, so we don't mm. even try unless the fracture never healed in the first place. The chance that she's going to develop problems with it now is really, really unlikely. The only time we'll mess with the hardware from a plate or from a nail is sometimes the screws that lock it in place that prevent it from rotating uh, sometimes can can um, you can feel it and in that location it can be kind of uncomfortable and then you could just do a surgery not to take the nail out or the rod out but just those those couple of screws but yeah if it's not bothering you it's not going to lead to long-term problems so mm -hmm. press on run do whatever you want um, if for some reason you need it out at some point in the future that's not the end of the world but Usually that's not the case. I mean, very rarely, maybe 2% of the time do we take hardware out in those circumstances. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's yeah. lovely. I've made a note that you're the good news doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the funny Although thing I... is when people do want it out, sometimes they'll actually want, you know, they're, they're sort of sentimental about it. Like, hey, can I? <laughs> and I'm always like, what? you didn't want it in your body. Like, well, yeah, it just, I don't get it. Like, why would you? now want to see it all the time but, yeah. it's know. a mu museum of curiosities yeah. yes. it's a conver conversation piece on the library shelf sort of a badge <laughs> of honor so to speak yeah no mm, no mm -mm. yeah although i i do have to say that listening to you describe you know the nail and the screws i i'm feeling a little queasy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me too me too and it's my legs i know there's I know. no there's 
there's no coincidence that that other fields of medicine uh, sort of um, I would say jokingly, but I think there is a sort of a sort of a, sor- a sarcastic tone. They they sort of compare us to carpenters, and, yeah. and there is an element of truth to it. I mean, yeah, we use nails and screws and, and uh, <laughs> plates. So, uh, in a certain extent, that that that's true. We're putting things back together. Yeah, yeah, and you're controlling kind of the interior architecture of a building. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, so Megan wants to know if, uh, and I'm thinking she means piriformis syndrome is something she's going to have to live with forever, is if it's the gift that just keeps giving. Yeah, uh, that's a terrible thing to think about. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a tricky problem. The the trick, well, let me, before I say the trick with it, the piriformis syndrome, what, for people that don't know it, the sciatic nerve, you know, the big nerve that runs down the back of your leg, um, travels under a muscle in your buttock called the piriformis and in some people runners probably cyclists more than runners but both can get it that piriformis muscle can get tight and press on the sciatic nerve and can cause problems with it and usually it's just buttock pain but sometimes it can actually cause you know pain or numbness or tingling that radiates down the leg uh, as well i think a couple things uh typically that's another one if you that's probably more than just going online and finding stretching exercises that it's probably going to end up being more it's going to take more to get over it than that a lot of times that's another one that working with a physical therapist can really really help and then if that's not enough to get you better and this is going to be rare so don't don't automatically assume this but some people you know just it's not getting better it's not getting better there is a surgery to release that piriformis muscle and and release the pressure on that nerve i will tell you though more often than anybody needing surgery for it is that if somebody is not getting better and physical therapy is not getting you know the symptoms better and they're really struggling to either you know ride their bike or to run you start to question whether or not that's actually the diagnosis. And so you start to look at problems up in your lower back and, and things like that. So, um, and that tends to be, in my experience, more the issue than it's just piriformis syndrome truly that's not getting better. So when she says, hey, maybe it's something I'm gonna live with, um, I would start one, you know, work with a physical therapist, and then two, if even that's not working, you know, maybe talk to a, either a sports medicine doctor or even a spine doctor to see maybe there's not something else going on. All right. Now we're going to move on to a few questions, a few final questions that are kind of gear related, for lack of a better term. Um, so um, Susan had a really good seasonal question. She wanted to know if wearing flip flops can bring on injuries and like or do runners need to wear like smarter, more supportive footwear options in the summer? Because I know that I live in my UFOs flip flops they're designed for runners but like when i see women just like at race expos and they're just tromping around and you know like two dollar old navy flip-flops i was just thinking no stop you're doing so much damage to your body like is that right or no yeah i mean i think it i mean i think for short periods of time i, I don't think it's that big of a deal i think if you're going to be wearing them all day and like here where we are in the south where it's warm in the summer i mean sandals and flip-flops are like normal normal footwear in the summer mm-hmm. i think that's where you may look for something a little more supportive and i get you know big 
you know, bulky uh, shoes, it may not be that fun if it's 100 degrees. But mm-hmm. even like you mentioned, in the sandal world, there are some that are more supportive than others. I think the other thing is, and I, and I this uh, you open a can of worms when you say this, some of it really depends a little bit on the type of foot anatomy you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have really high, rigid arches, Mm-hmm. Flip-flops are probably not the world's best thing uh, compared to some, something more supportive. You know, if you have abnormally really flat feet, probably not the world's best thing either. So if you're concerned about it, you know, maybe you see, you know, a foot and ankle surgeon or a sports medicine surgeon or a, a, you know, a podiatrist if they're really good and not trying to talk you into selling you a million things. Um, I think just to make sure that, that it's all right, I think that's, those are my general rules of thumb about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and another gear question. Heather had a question. Does K- KT tape really work? I've used it before for a quad injury, but didn't notice much of a difference. Does it help if it's applied by a trained PT? Uh, she had better results for a quad injury by using a compression sleeve. Do you have any thoughts yeah. about it? I- yeah, I mean, I think... There's no absolute right answer. If you ask physical therapists that this is what they do all the time, they work with athletes and active people, you will find some that are believers in KT tape and some that are not believers in it. And There's not that great of studies um, saying it definitely works. I think if it's going to work though, uh, you need to know how to do it. So I would, because just putting tape on your body isn't going to do anything. I think it has to, the way it works is you're trying to basically pull muscles and other structures uh, structures in a certain direction. So you have to know how to apply it. So I think you don't have to go to the physical therapist every day to do it, but they need to teach you how to do it or teach it mm-hmm. like a family member how to do it if it's somewhere you can't reach or it's not going to work at all. I think it's absolutely reasonable to try. Again, it's another non-surgical thing. And if it, that helps you get over it, I'm all for it. Uh, but you got to know how to do it. And if it's not working pretty quickly, you may look at other things. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And, and don't wear it just because it matches your running outfit. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you if you're going to do it, you need to have like cool colors and all this. Fair. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, and what's your stance on cortisone injections? Cause definitely a lot of women mention those in their questions. And um, I mean, they just scare the, the heck out of me, but what's your thought on them? Yeah, I mean, my my uh, position might be a little different than the orthopedic surgery world generally. I'm not a big fan of them. It's not to say I won't do it, uh, but I, I don't just... I'm certainly not one of those uh, surgeons that everybody that comes in, it's cortisone, and if that doesn't work, it's surgery. I, I don't think... You have to kind of think about what cortisone is. It's, it's basically an anti-inflammatory. It's a steroid, but not an anabolic steroid, but it's an anti-inflammatory steroid. It'd be like taking a truckload of Advil, except you're just putting it in one place. So you're, you're decreasing inflammation, but you're not by and large fixing whatever is causing that inflammation. Now for some problems that works well, like if it's a bursitis like a, up at, or on the outside of the hip, trochanteric bursitis, that is the underlying issue. So a cortisone injection works great. But for things like 
arthritis, things like rotator cuff things in the shoulder. Generally, I don't think it's treating the underlying issue. And there is some concern with cortisone, especially multiple cortisone shots over time, that they can actually weaken structures. They can actually make cartilage in the knee break down faster. Mm. They can weaken a tendon. So you certainly would never get a cortisone shot around your Achilles tendon or patella tendon because you might be more likely to rupture it. So I, mm. I will do it occasionally once, but it's almost never the first thing I try. Uh, we'll try, you know, like I said, modifying activities. We may try physical therapy. We may try ice. We, there's lots of things. And then if those things aren't helping, sometimes we'll do cortisone to sort of decrease the pain so that the other things then can work a little bit better. So physical therapy, if that's kind of getting them better, but not over the hump, maybe for whatever the problem is, you add cortisone and then they go back to therapy now with less pain and the therapy is actually what's going to get them better. Mm, Okay. Okay. And the final question that, so um, definitely physical therapy, we have, we have sold it uh, in this episode, but, but um, what are your thoughts about acupuncture, massage therapy, um, you know, graft, graft and those sort of things? Yeah. Generally I'm all for all of it really. I'm not as familiar with Graston as I uh, probably should be. I know that that's sort of like KT tape in that some physical therapists strongly believe it. Some are a little less impressed by it. My patients that have had it talk about how painful it was. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that might be, if it's not getting you better pretty quickly, you might uh, go a different direction. Generally though, um, acupuncture and massage, I'm all for. Um, Mm. It's tricky because again, some of it depends on what your issue is. And um, you kind of have to find somebody that, that, is really good at it. I mean, massage is a great example. Um, there's sort of the, you just go to a, a salon or a spa and you get a Swedish massage. That's probably not going to be nearly as fect- effective as going to a massage therapist. And there mm-hmm. are true massage therapists that work with athletes and active people. And there is a, sort of an enjoyable component. I've, I've worked with some right. of them and had some of those, but it's not nearly the Swedish massage you get us at a salon there. It's, they're mm-hmm. really working out different things, but I, I generally think those are good. And if they, if they work, I'm all for it. I know a lot of people aren't believers in acupuncture and you know, try all I can say is try it and and see. Now, if you have some kind of structural issue, you know, you've got a meniscus tear or a stress fracture or something, acupuncture is probably not going to do a lot. But if it's a muscle issue or a tendon issue, it's absolutely worth a try. Um, there's not that much of a downside. You just it, maybe it doesn't work. But I, I don't discourage people from trying things like that. If anything gets you better and helps you avoid surgery, I think generally that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Um, so, th- so thank you, David. You've been uh, very helpful, and I love the optimism that you brought awesome. to the show. So thank you. Thank you well, very much. I, I enjoy, obviously, you can tell, I love uh, helping people get back to whatever it is they want to do. In this case, obviously, runners. Um, and so uh, if there's any way I can help people, uh, give them a little encouragement, uh, I, I, I love doing it. Great. Great. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, well, here's hoping that ladies in the Train Like a Mother Club are not needing any of that information, but here's Dimity to tell us a bit what's going on in there. 
Hey, it's Dimity here with the Train Like a Mother Club Corner, and I'm coming to you with a little information. I'm not going to read a post from somebody, but instead I'm going to talk a little bit about the Twin Cities Marathon Weekend, which is our next target race for Another Mother Runner and the Train Like a Mother Club. A couple things. Um, the Another Mother Runner will have a booth at the expo, so you can get, you know, all the Bama merchandise you need there. That's, you know, Friday and Saturday. Um, and then... The Train Like a Mother Club will be there and um, will be there with a critical mass of mother runners and coaches. Um, Coach MK will be there. Coach Amanda will be there. And um, there'll be a couple staffers there as well. I'll be there. And um, I think our marketing director, Katie, is going to go. So And Sarah will be there, of course, running the marathon. So the way that it's going to shake out is on um, Saturday morning, we're going to have a shakeout run, uh, Saturday, September 30th. Um, and then sun, uh, Saturday afternoon, we're going to have a mother runner gathering um, at a yoga studio in St. Paul and um, talk through racing um, at, at both places if you want to, if you're racing either the 10 mile or the marathon and just have a blast as well. Just, you know, connect with other mother runners. And then Sunday morning, we will, um, there'll be a group of us being spectathletes who are there to cheer on everybody. And then there'll also, of course, be runners doing the 10 mile or 26 mile um, race. So if you are in driving distance or want to get to the Twin Cities, um, even if you're not racing, that's totally fine. Come and soak up the Mother Runner vibes and just have a great a weekend of connection and laughter and knowledge. And, and you can walk away um, setting some goals for your fall or for 2018. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention about the Twin Cities weekend is that we are doing a special edition of the Perform Like a Mother series with Dr. Justin Ross, who is a sports psychologist here in Denver. Um, and so we are limiting it to six athletes um, who are looking to have a solid race in the Twin Cities. So you're looking for a PR or to achieve some significant goals. And um, we, we're going to spend three 90-minute sessions um, setting up your goals, practicing you know, what you're going to do um, during your training so that on race day, you can execute a high performance mindset. Um, and uh, it's actually really, really fun series. And so um, if you happen to join us, you'll have women who are doing the exact same race as you. And we'll also talk a little bit about the race course so that, you know, you know, kind of when you might hit a mental wall and, and we'll give you the tools to deal with that. So so that's a lot to take in. Um, you can find Perform Like a Mother on the Train Like a Mother Club page, and you can find the event for the Twin Cities Marathon, just a general event to RSVP and kept, be kept in the loop on the Another Mother Runner Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Another Mother Runner. If you have any questions, reach out to us and we'll be happy to help. Thanks so much and have a great week. All right, looking for something to fill your ears when you're not listening to this podcast? I know, I, I don't know, maybe there's a few minutes of your day where you're not, but um, I suggest playlists of songs compiled by another mother runner and expertly mixed by the DJs at the Rock My Run app. We just put out a new one called Rise and Conquer, and all the songs on the two and a half hour mix are by women artists. Um, okay, I admit it. I put it together. I really, really love it. Um, and I played it on uh, many of my recent training runs. So Rock My Run, it's a free app. And we have seven, yes, seven AMR mixes on there. So um, if you want to get them all in one fell swoop, go to anothermotherrunner.com and click on the Great Deals drop-down menu along the top nav, and then follow the easy 
to follow directions and you'll get hours of Groove and Tunes to listen to. So again, if you want to get all seven AMR mixes, go to anothermotherrunner.com, look on the top nav, it's going to say great deals, there's a drop down menu that comes from there, click on it when you see Rock My Run, and there's just steps that walk you right through it. Our podcast is a member of the ACAST Network, and our show today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm-hmm.